Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Hey, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode that features an interview with Joey and Dave Landreth, otherwise known as the Brothers Landreth. I just had uh, an amazing time talking to these guys. They shared so much about uh, their thoughts, their feelings, where they're at, uh, their latest album, Come Morning, which is just amazing. And I'm so glad that you're along for this ride and to listen to this interview. Can't wait to share it with you. And while you're here, I wanted to remind everybody that there's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the Road Case community. We really rely on the support of you amazing listeners. And there's just a couple things that you can do to help support Roadcase. One of which is to follow us on the socials. Our handle is at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find out more information about Roadcase by visiting our website, www.roadcasepod.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us at info at roadcasepod.com with your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, there's a little box that says follow. Just hit that. Uh, another popular platform is Apple Podcast. And you'll see if you're on Apple Podcast, there's a check mark up in the upper right hand corner. You just click that. Doing so on both those platforms and other platforms will enable you to receive updates when new episodes come into the world. It's a great place, great way to stay in touch with Roadcase. Another great way to support Roadcase and super easy is to rate and review this podcast on those listening platforms. So uh, if you're on Spotify, just underneath that follow box that I just mentioned, there is a box with a couple of stars. Just click on that. Super easy. And at Apple Podcasts, you just scroll up a little bit from the Roadcase homepage and there's a spot where you'll see a bunch of stars and a place to review. You just click a bunch of those stars and you write a review if you're so inclined. That's just a great way to support Roadcase. And I really, really appreciate your help. So I'm really, really uh, psyched and honored to have Dave and Joey Landreth along for this interview and episode. Uh, these guys just came out with a new album entitled Come Morning. Uh, just a two really great dudes that uh, really shared so much about what their background is, what their current mindset is, and just how they came to this place at this moment, uh, really open and willing to share so much about where they're at, uh, where their mind's at, where their head's at. A uh, little bit of background, in 2013, uh, their debut album entitled Let It Lie uh, won a Juno Award uh, in 2015 for Roots, Best Roots and Traditional Album of the Year. Uh, they were also nominated for the International Artist of the Year at the 2016 UK Americana Awards. Uh, that 
debut album, Let It Lie, was just massively popular. These guys hit the road really hard uh, internationally. Uh, that level of touring really took a toll on these guys, so they sort of throttled back a little bit, and we'll talk about that. Joey launched a solo career. Uh, both Dave and Joey are noted sidemen as well, uh, and uh, so they kind of took a break a little bit, came back in 2019 with their second album entitled 87, but of course touring was cut short uh, because of COVID. Uh, these guys went through a lot during COVID, a lot of processing about where they're at. Uh, they're really, uh, we're willing to share a lot. We had just one of the most amazing conversations I've had as an interviewer uh, thus far on Roadcase. It was really special, uh, the places that we went. And uh, we learned, I learned so much about these guys. And so you will too. They're first time fathers now and have been writing songs on this new album, Come Morning, uh, about sort of processing emotional trauma, unpacking old baggage and moving forward and they they really deal with the hard truths and also interestingly kind of we talk about the universality buried beneath personal experiences and if you're a fan or even if you're not a fan you will really relate to that from a music perspective from a live performance perspective and that ability to identify with the performer's ability to be vulnerable and put those emotions out there and these guys give us all the background behind that and i just really had a wonderful conversation with them. I'm so glad that you're all along for this particular ride. It is a stunning interview and I'm so glad you're here. And I want to send a special shout out and thank you to the amazing Dave Landreth and Joey Landreth, otherwise known as Brothers Landreth for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Hey guys, welcome to Roadcase. So great to have you, Dave, Joey. It's really a real pleasure, man. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, we got not a complaint in the world. Thanks for doing for having good. us on. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, you're welcome, man. My pleasure. So happy to have you. But not a complaint in the world. That's a good place to be these days, I guess, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean there's, listen, there's plenty to complain about, but uh, nobody needs to hear it. We've all been through it. Accentuate the positive. Yeah, true, you know I mean? right? True. How do you get to that place though? You know, I guess, you know, I, yeah, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's one of those again. But then I just have a cup of coffee, just kind of settle into it. Don't try to like think about it too much oh, and just yeah. sort of put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, it ends up like it's 1 p.m. in the afternoon. I'm talking to you guys and, you know, all shit's really good, you know? Don't assess anything before that first cup of coffee. That's your first mistake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, like, absolutely. No, you no think joke. after every day that <laughs> every day you've been alive since you were 16 <laughs> since i discovered the black gold in like college <laughs> yeah yeah every once in a while i have a day where i get like halfway through the afternoon and i'm like man what is wrong and then it'll just dawn on me that i've not had a cup of coffee oh, and it shit. straightens you it's real like if you and it's rare that i go a day without drinking a cup of coffee in the morning but if i do and get to that spot in the afternoon it is incredible the clarity that comes with you know 250 milliliters of java my <laughs> wife uh i'm i've i've been a, a coffee fanatic for a long time but my uh my wife is kind of indifferent to it like she likes coffee but she you know she's not my wife is not an addict in any way whereas i can i can find a way to get addicted to literally anything <laughs> oh, and shit. uh and uh but this year uh, I mean, we have a one and a half year old daughter, which, mm. uh, or, or, or almost one and a half, one and four months. Um, 
she, uh, I don't know, in the last like three or four weeks, she's just turned into this like, don't talk to me till I have my coffee person, <laughs> which is hilarious. Kids will do that to you, man. Is it, how's the kid? How, how's, is it a boy or girl, Joy? I got a little girl at home. Um, yeah. It's, man, it's, it's the best. It's honestly. She a good sleeper? She is. Yeah. She really, really is. Which I, I, I know, uh, <coughs> I won't, I'm I won't break. Talk, speaking of coffee, I just swallowed that's good. That, that sip wrong. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> you, yeah. You're not supposed to get it in your lungs, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, no, I, I won't. I won't brag too much about it. But she is a good sleeper, and uh, so we're we're lucky that way. She's. I mean, she's a total joy, and uh, as as they all are. But um, yeah, it's like all I want to do is be her dad. We just went out. Aww. We we just went out on the road, and the first the first week, I was like, this is not better than hanging out with my kid. Yeah, uh, clearly. And and then I got into it and was like, oh yeah, right. I I love my job. But it was the, right, fir- the right. first week was like such a drastic change from being at home for the last two and a bit years to all of a sudden being back in the thrown back into the routine of touring. And, and uh, yeah, it took it took a minute to adjust, but I'm happy to report still like my job. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, are you you're 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 a recent dad, too. You guys both are, right? Yeah. Um, I got that's so I got that's a bit so of a head cool. Start. You know, did you guys coordinate that? Or? We can't, I mean, actually, how old, yeah. How old? <laughs> a little bit. I mean. Not not Joe. Fully. You like called him like it's on, brother. Uh, we, we did. We we're not going to get into it, but yeah, we we were in. Cahoots. I tried. I, I tried. Mean, the reality of what we do, right, is that you kind of do because it it um, the time that you want to spend if if you want to build in parental leave to the job, you do have to have a certain amount of forethought into it because it is going to disrupt yeah. planning. Like you know, a baby. A baby happens in nine months, but often tours are happening 18 months out. Mm. So it does, there are some conversations. Like before my wife and I started trying for a kid, um, we, I sat down with Stu and Joe. It was like, we, we, you know, we all had, Stu's our manager yeah. and we all had to have the talk. Okay, we're going to do this. So that means that, you know, we're going to start trying. And then right. from that point, I'll give you, I'll give you the, you guys will be the first to know. But then there's nine months and then I'm, I'm off the road or eight months and then I'm off the road or whatever. Yeah. Um, but with the pandemic, I mean, the timing for me worked out great because we, obviously we didn't know that the world was going to shut down, but it, uh, we'd planned for three months off of the road and then we were going to, and, and everybody was sort of heads up on that, my wife and I, and we all sort of mm. figured that was going to be enough mm. or, or, or a reasonable amount of time anyways. And then I was going to get back to work and, um, a week before our tour date started, that's when stuff started shutting down. So the timing for, for me was oh, perfect. Yeah. And then shortly on, on the heels of that, Joey and Anna basically were like, well, that, that, that looks kind of ideal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I kind of spent my whole life knowing that I wanted to be a dad, like as a musician and sort of, um, fashioning myself after a lot of the musical role models that we had here in town. And every, every it just sort of seemed like, those early years are just time a time that the musician dad misses and then yeah. hope, hopefully your career builds to a point where you're traveling a little less maybe you're making records a little more that kind of thing and so i just kind of assumed that that would be my trajectory mm. um but with the pandemic and watching dave and, and roberta with finn um and then knowing you know anna and i were we're planning on trying to buy a house we we're like mm-hmm. we want to have a house before we have a kid and so we were saving and, and then the, you know, with the pandemic, the housing market went bonkers. It was like, well, this is not happening now. All of a sudden 
houses that were well within our range of affordability were like you know going for double what they were selling prior yeah. and 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 things that we could afford were smaller than our apartments so it was like well th that <laughs> yeah. that seems dumb yeah. so uh but we it, it was very clear because dave said you know we're 18 months out from any any kind of traveling so it's like we have 18 months to two years now's mm -hmm. the time and and getting to watch dave be home was 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 a real indicator for me um and uh i i just knew that i did i didn't want to accept that i would miss that time i wanted to yeah. be a part of it and i wanted you know i wanted to go into parenthood as as an equal partnership as as much as humanly possible totally. and uh, that's what we we really sort of strived for strove for strove for strived. strived i think it's strived or strove oh no strove shit strive uh, that's you tried we, to do, tried to make we, happen. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we trove to do. No. Uh, so yeah. So, so it was Dave, Dave and Roberta were kind of the songwriters with the, 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 the vocabulary. Right? Oh man. Don't ask me. I, I, I can hardly read. Um, but yeah. You don't so have that, a thesaurus cracked open right there. <laughs> yeah. A rhyming dictionary, all, other right. people's songs that we, that are just less known so that we just steal things from them. Um, but yeah, so it was really special and it was really deliberate and, uh, I also, funny enough, kind of like Anna and I laugh about this all the time, but we just kind of figured that getting pregnant would inevitably be an accident. And so mm. we're like, I can't believe we actually did this on purpose. Well, yeah, you put your minds <laughs> to anything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Turns out the mechanics are quite simple. Yeah. Folks. So, but yeah. Actually, nature and instinct actually work at some point, you know? Wild. You, yeah, know, right, you know what's right. funny? Like, all, all my friends who accidentally get pregnant, I, I, I use the same line, especially people who already have kids. I'm like, you know how this works, right? Like, you know that if you do the thing, yeah. and then you do the thing when you're doing the thing. Yeah, if you leave the window <laughs> like, open and you have a stork in the neighborhood, baby. Yeah, right. But, yeah. Yeah. but if you keep the window closed... Did you know, <laughs> did you know storks, these birds that we love to fashion as, as baby-dropping maniacs, they, they will... They they were kind of ruthless about dumping unviable hatchlings out of the nest. Like they're they're brutal about it. Oh oh, in reality, man. in reality, oh, they're yeah. like oh, they are like absolutely uh, terrifying parents. <laughs> wow. Like oh, you are I've the never, weakest like, link. Actually, Goodbye. drilled. I've never really actually drilled down on storks, but that's interesting. Like, yeah, that man. You if you want to, if you want to see a crazy looking bird, go and Google shoebill stork. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those things actually, they look like- Dinosaurs. A, a comic book character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny thing about birds, though, is that they're actually dinosaurs, so. Funny thing about birds, True. though, is they're actually True. just robots. Well, funny thing about the dinosaurs- government... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, I never mind. I, I... It's not worth it. I don't it's think we're ready for those kind of truth bombs. <laughs> well, funny things about dinosaurs is that they're actually birds. That was the thing, I think. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Birds all are right, really so we're talking all about this birth stuff because, you know, in Canada, they haven't cracked down on abortion like they have in this country, not to suck oh, the air dude, out of the room, yeah, but holy, sorry, actually, yeah. I have, and it needs to go mentioning that that's just, what ha what's happening in this country is horrible. You guys are up in Canada. I mean, clearly there's just like a, it's dude. just better. It's just better there. And you, you know, know about nature too. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, the, the frightening thing though, is that we're, we're rarely far behind and, and there's, there's there's oh, no God. room for complacency with this kind of stuff when you s see I, and I'm so sorry like legitimately just so sorry to you for you cats that are f literally having to deal with the realities of this insanity but there's no there's no room for complacency and I I mean not to get serious here but 
we like to we like to pat ourselves on the back in Canada, mm. Mm. but we are only we are only a couple of votes away from sliding into uh, th- this kind of yeah this oh, this really? kind of backsliding. Well, Always the I mean, the 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 reality with abortion laws actually in Canada is like is back in the early '90s we were one vote away in the in the Supreme Court of Canada from from outlawing abortion as well in the early '90s. Oh, I had no idea. But what ended up happening after that because it was really scary because we you know we have we have uh, universal health care here. So what they ended up doing was they there are no abortion laws any longer. It's actually the abortion is written into um, the health care act. Mm. Uh, because it came so close to being threatened, um, they actually, the whoever was sort of in power at the time, sort of went in and proved that it was against the Canadian Constitution of Rights or the Canadian Charter of Rights. Uh, and uh, so, I, I mean, I guess potentially that could always get overruled, but they, 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 they worked pretty hard to make sure that there were fail-safes in, uh, in place that, that abortion couldn't be removed from healthcare. So, mm. I mean, anything is possible. We've seen some crazy stuff in the last, you know, 10 years politically yeah. and, and yeah. All, not, not just you guys, but all around the world. But uh, I think it just, it, it's, it's been interesting time for all that because it, you just, I feel like there was a lull yeah. In, in you know, like between world wars and and civil rights movements and things like that, where there was just like there was a little there was a little less at least media media frenzy kind of stuff. But now it just feels like things are crazy. So we just gotta we gotta keep it all at the yeah. Front, I mean, at the front. So of many life. Americans are like, I'm moving to Canada. I mean, it's just you know, universal health care, cooler people. I don't know, <laughs> better weather. Yeah, <laughs> Man, cooler weather at I least. Mean, but I mean, um, yeah, we, what's we happening love it here, here in the yeah oppression of women's rights in this country is just despicable. Like, I, it's it's just it crushes me. I believe in the right to choose, and I believe in non-government, in, you know, invasiveness into your body. I'm like, what? What is going on? It's it's just it's just bonkers. I mean, I I, I felt like I had to mention that because we were going in that we're sort yeah, of like sure. going well, in the birth I, direction. I do, you know, I do think though that like I think we've seen we've seen the pendulum swing super far. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, now it's kind of headed in the direction to the right, and I think I think it's it's going to keep swinging back and forth until you know I have to I have to have hope that. Things are going to normalize a little bit, you know, and everybody's so polarized right now that we kind of forget that we, we all need each other, you know, and we're Mm. doing, we're doing all this stuff to make sure that, make sure that we feel different than one another. You know, I'm a very, I'm a very liberal guy, Mm. a very left-leaning dude, um, but I have a lot of pretty conservative friends and, uh, it's funny how often I sit down and have conversations with them and go, oh, yeah, right, I forgot. Like, you're, ac- you're actually still a great person, and we can actually have sensible conversations about this stuff. And, and as, long as, as long as that sort of respect stays in place, then I think, you know, but I, I, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it'd be I, too Yeah, I respect that. But, you're definitely, you know, you're certainly open-minded and approach it from an open-minded perspective. But when someone thinks that it, that the government has a right to choose what a woman does with an embryo or fetus inside bonkers. of them, like that's where I part company with being inclusive of everybody. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, and I, and I, uh, I totally agree with you on that one. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's insanity. 
I, I'm happy to listen to other people, other people's views on policy and what have you. And because that really comes from how people have grown up and what their viewpoints are and how they look at the world. But man, when it comes to government control, I'm a, I'm, I, I sway to the far left on liberalism for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. As, as do Without I think a doubt. lot of musicians. Yeah. <laughs> in the musical, in the music community for uh, sure. And I think, I think that one of the reasons why artists are always in that place is because they often, they often are in the fringes, fringes of society. Artists don't occupy mm. the upper middle class. Very rarely are they in the, in the top of that at least. And, and also we all get to travel a lot, you know? So like, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is spend some time in Scandinavia and Germany and parts of Europe and, and, and Australia to see that like, oh, there's a whack of other countries. I mean, I only named those ones. There's many more, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. there's so many other countries that do things uh, the same, better, different, you know, and, and you start to see that and you realize like, oh, there's great things about Canada for sure. But we are also a colonial country and we have an incredibly sinister dark history that people love to hide behind. Canadians mm. are super polite. Yeah, maybe 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 we are polite on the front, but like when you dig through history, some horrible horrible awful shit has happened. Yeah. Uh and genocidal stuff that people are like, "Yeah, but we got Tim Hortons." You know. So I it's it's like <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, while yeah, I, yeah. I I I don't mind that people people hear that we're Canadian and they go, "Oh, that's nice." I don't yeah. mind that as a as yeah. a thing, but it's also I have a hard time going. Yeah, but all you know, all the stuff that we did to our indi our indigenous community here, eh, yeah. well, you know, same. we can we yeah, can let that here. slide. Yeah, yeah. In this country, it's been horrible, but yeah, that opportunity to travel and see how it's different in other countries. But also, what came to mind is just that in music, it brings together so many individuals from so many different demographics and from so many different financial backgrounds, and um, that the the um, the ability the the taking away the ability to choose in one's particular community forces individuals that might want to have an abortion or take care of of their own bodies to have to move themselves to a place where they can do that and the financial burden you know music is so broad that there's so many different fans from so many different backgrounds that it affects in so many different people in a lot of different ways that I think the musical community is really in touch with that as well. Much in the way that a lot of liberal politicians are always fighting for those that are less privileged than others to give them the same level of rights and access to healthcare. So, yeah. Yeah. But one question I want to, you guys are both dads. You know, I, I understand that your dad, your own dad was a musician. Um, was he on the road a lot? And did that, did, did his involvement in the music community um, say, sort of show you that, yeah, you can be a dad in, and, and still, or be a parent and still be out there at all? What was that? What was that effect on you? Not Davey really. Shaking your head. No, no, it wasn't. Like, <laughs> I think, so growing up, our, our dad played music, but he, he did it mostly close to home. Oh, okay. um, he was working around town. And I honestly have very few memories of him traveling as a musician. Mm. Um, I remember music in the house. I remember hanging out at the, the sort of in the nineties, late eighties and early nineties. There's this a scene around this club in Winnipeg called the blue note cafe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of really sort of, a, a lot of really cool folk roots blues stuff came out of there. The crash just dummies came out of there. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I remember that club. I remember going there and um, our, our mom cleaned the club for a while during the day. Mm -hmm. So I, I just have all these different memories of that, but uh, but he wasn't really a traveling musician. So I think okay. when it came to figuring out what kind of dads we were going to be, that was, we really were starting from scratch. 
mm-hmm. um, especially when you're talking about travel and, and sort of the stresses and the challenges that come along with um, doing that and also uh, fulfilling your obligations and your responsibility to your family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way that our dad traveled back in those <clears throat> days was, you know, he was a side man for hire. And I think the time that he spent the most on the road uh, kind of happened before we were born. Um, and because we're kind of our, our own, we, you know, we don't work for nobody. Uh <laughs> You know, if left our our own devices, we'd be on the road 300 days a year, every year, you know, and right. that's, and that's like, there's always a reason for us to go on the road. So we've had to really, um, very deliberately sort of carve out what, what it is going to look like. Cause if we're, if we're not careful, we're out there working all the time. Well, didn't you get to that point at one point that brought you to kind of where you were like a couple albums ago where you just sort of just got like just way out there way too much and it sort of really had kind of a negative effect on not only your own relationship with each other, but like your relationship to your own artistic output? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I mean, I can't speak for both of us because we both had a different relationship with it. We had a different experience, but when our band started, there was some momentum right out of the gate and we are both pretty ambitious guys. Mm. Uh, and when we realized that this, there was something to what we were doing, cause, cause we knew we cared about it deeply. And yeah. when people started to react to it and it was clear that there was other interest, we put our heads down and, and we went straight to work and we started plowing. Um, and we put in a number of years where we were gone 200 plus days yeah, a year and we worked ourselves pretty ragged. Um, like 20, 2015, like when Let It Lie, you're t- about the first yeah. album and touring yeah. around that one. Yeah. And pretty that much. That kind of really like got instantly like a lot for you guys, right? And we coming off the back of like, we had <clears throat> both spent maybe three years. Let's, let's say some like early 2000, like 2009, 2010 mm-hmm. through 2013. We were both touring in other bands too. So we were coming off the back of a number of years of doing 200 dates on the road, 200 mm-hmm. days on the road already mm. we're working for other people we started our own band and initially out of the gate we had sort of the thought that hey we'll, we'll put ourselves in the driver's seat we can throttle this and we can choose how much we want to be on the road but we we lost control of that really quickly um in favor of just ch- chasing everything and we were younger too you know we we're in our early 20s yeah and and you, before before we knew that you could say no to stuff yeah so it was like <laughs> yeah. we have this opportunity we're like well we better go do that do it well now these guys want you to go over here well we better go over there well, these guys right. want to talk to you. Well, we better go talk to those guys, you know, and yeah, we didn't know yeah. that there was like a, there was room for us to go, ah, we'd, we'd love that, but maybe next time. And I, I've heard that so many times, yeah. like, and then just in retrospect, artists that, that, that just t- toured themselves to, not to death, but like toured just so Nearly. much. They look back and go, I said yes to everything. Yeah. And th- there's a time for that. Like I, I'm, now I'm involved in some artist management. We run a music company that is working with a pile of different artists and i see it all the time like there is a moment to put to pour pour the the you know whatever metaphor you want to use step on the gas or pour fuel on the fire there there is a time for it Mm -hmm. the 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 trick is that you need to be strategic about it and uh know when to when to you know the gas and the clutch right like there's yeah there's a moment for it but then then there also needs to be a moment of rest and reprieve you can't do it constantly and the way our business is set up um, it's a very hungry business. It will take everything from you 
if you allow mm. it to. And that's nobody's fault. That's just that's just late stage capitalism thriving in, and everywhere, anywhere that there is a, a buck to be made. That that is what happens. It's the way yeah. it's set up. So you really have to be responsible for um, finding your own sense of balance. And it's different for everybody because yeah, I know yeah. I know guys yeah. are out there doing two hundred days a, a year on the road, and their and their families are perfectly supportive, and they have a balance, and it works. And yeah. I just know that that's never going to work for me again. I, I just never wanted to go there. Well, but. now you're at this point where that's kind of in the rearview mirror, but looking back, I mean, that first album was massively critically acclaimed. You won Juno Awards, you won these variety of different Americana Awards in the UK and Canada, like everywhere. It was just, it was, it was big and you guys were getting pulled in different directions. Would that somehow have been easier had that album not hit so hard at the time, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah, I think it probably would have. I mean, I mean, it's sort of double-edged sword, right? You're like, fuck, that was like we 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 did a great job with that album, but you know, holy shit, those were a couple of hard years. It's like it's almost like a bargain with the devil almost, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what's really like really interesting is I I think like in the in the music industry, there's always there's always this like, you know, we're sharks. If you stop moving, you drown. Uh, you you have to want. There's, there's like, there's a, there's a certain level that you have to hit in order for you to be able to say you're successful. There's a lot of like sort of perception based stuff that I think I, like I would never change what, what we did. You know, we learned so much about the industry, about ourselves, about each other, about music, about mm. art. And I think that that's kind of invaluable. Um, but it was traumatizing enough, you know, and I do mean that literally like there, 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 it came with baggage that we will carry with us forever. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just in a realistic way that, that means that every single thing that we do, we take that experience with us and it, and it, it helps us make better and better decisions for ourselves. And I think the one thing that the pandemic has done is like, and I've heard so many people say this, but you, we got a dose of perspective that I, I realized like I wanted, 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 I wanted to climb to the top. Mm. And, um, and this is not in favor of mediocrity, mediocrity at all, but I realized that it's okay to land somewhere in the middle because Mm. if, if I'm comfortable and that means that like at 60 days on the road a year, maybe less, maybe a tiny bit more. I'm pretty happy. And if that means that we're never going to headline Madison Square Garden, well, okay. You know, I've driven past it. I know where it is. I've seen it. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Right, still right there on 7th Avenue. Yeah. And I think, I think that we, um, we go into the music business without having that perspective. And everybody tells you that, like, in order to actually be an artist, you have to be willing to absolutely die for it. And that's, I just don't think that's true or sustainable or healthy or even remotely correct. Well, and I think it's just the way that we we've we've done it. And so so like now like I think for me the biggest thing in the pandemic was like I'm a touring musician and I play guitar. Uh-huh. And then the pandemic hit and it's like I'm no longer touring, I'm no <laughs> longer really playing music and I'm not really enjoying playing guitar. So who the fuck am I? Yeah, and yeah. that was a weird question, but it was like it's changed my whole life because I realized like I'm still a lot of things that I really love to do. Yeah. And it leaves me coming back to music 
with more love and more appreciation because it doesn't have to be the only thing that I am anymore. Yeah. Well, when you hit people in their early 20s with all these like carrots at the end of a stick and all these notions when ostensibly you don't really completely know yourself. I mean, you might know a lot about yourself, but really about your own perspective in the world and what your growth is and what you, where you really want to be in 10 years and who you really will be. Um, and then you, you form all these relationships and, and this growth of success that feeds a certain um, channel in your brain that's like, I need to do this way. That's a difficult burden to put on somebody. But then, Joey, what you're saying, you know, you get to the spot where you're like, I can, I'm okay with who I am. It's like, I'm doing my best and this is what I want to do. And then you're like, yeah, I don't need to be um, su as successful as other people think that I can be. But what is it really how does it really sit with me? And to put that on in early twenties is like, or mid twenties or even that's a tough, that that's, that's a tough kind of mental gymnastics for someone to do and be happy with at that. I mean, sure there are those, um, but it can't be expected of everybody. No, but I, I think, I think it's, there, there's no precedent for that kind of musician right now, you know? And when I was coming up, it was like my first guitar hero was Stevie Ray Vaughan. And it was like, that dude, slept in that hat like that's who he was you know what i mean like yeah um there were there were no respected famous musicians who were like i i like to golf as much as i like to play the keyboards mm. you know or i like to you know or it was never talked about and it's something that i'm trying to do because i know that there are young musicians that look up to me and it's something that i'm i'm it's like my life's mission to let them know that it's okay to be other things. And you can still want to play guitar more than anything in the world, but it's also really good to go and hang out with your friends and be with your family and, uh, you know, experience the world uh, in Got other balance. ways. Because, like, what, I'm, what I've realized, especially with having my daughter and realizing how precious time with her is, um, is that at the end of the day, if all I have to prove for my whole life is just a stack of records that I made and spent all my time touring, I'm going to be disappointed, mm -hmm. you know? And I've seen a lot of the world and, and it's a blast. Traveling the world playing music is, is the, I think is the coolest job to have. And I certainly don't ever want to take that for granted. Um, but, uh, having balance is so, so important. And yeah, it, you know, at the risk of over, over, talking about this topic i don't think i've played or sung or performed better in my whole career than i am right now and yeah. i'm and i think it's because less of my identity is riding on me being a good musician and i can actually just mm. go out and play a show and have fun with my friends instead of critiquing every single note i play or sing or thing that i say to the audience or thing i don't say to the audience Interesting. Uh, and it's it's kind of like music has almost sort of been knocked back a couple of priority steps, which allows me to enjoy it more because less is riding on it because it's not integral for me to play my ass off and still think that I'm a good person. Yeah. You know, you, and I, you're, and you're, a gr you're a grown up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, no, yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, that's I got a make... level of, that's a level of maturity in knowing oneself and knowing what, what, what ultimately what you want to get out of what you do. Yeah, I'd love to play my ass yeah. off, but I, I also got to remember that the garbage has to go out Thursday night. <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. Dave, what's your perspective on all this? Um, You know, I, I, I agree. And I mean, Joey and I are, are, this is something that we spend a lot of time talking about and have worked through together and separately over the last 15 years or more. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think a number of things. One, I think it's really important to try it as best you can to define what success really looks like and to challenge yourself to remove um, the kind of typical metrics like, you know, uh, financial success and fame, uh, popularity. Those are things that, you know, specific to the music world, the music industry, but I, you know, increasingly are, are everywhere. Everybody's got, everybody is, everybody is vying to be in some sort of influencer or something, you know, not everyone, right. but a lot of folks. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and, um, th- those are, again, my anecdotal experience, I'm not, I'm not making judgments on other folks, but my, my perspective <clears throat> is, is that the, for me, those are very empty pursuits. Um, but I think it's, you know, you design, define your success yourself and really sit with it like really try and shut out all the noise what do you want in your life what makes and if what will make you feel satisfied and then give yourself the permission to reassess that constantly Mm. one day to the next um a year to the next a a decade after decade because you as you grow it's it it doesn't even make sense that you would want the same things the whole time Mm -hmm. like the things i wanted when i was eight years old or 16 or 24 yeah, or 30, now I'm 36. They, they change so drastically. They don't even recognize those people anymore. Right. So why would I allow those, those dreams and those goals to dictate my life now when they just don't fit? So I think that's important. And um, I think also, yeah, just, just wrestling with that idea that uh, as specific, again, specific to artists, I'd say, or people in the music space or whatever it is, the, the arts, there, there's a romanticism around uh, these artists that that are only like they're they're just they're solely dedicated to their pursuit, and I just think that's that's unfortunate. Like I think it's I, I'm learning, and I struggle with that too. Like Joey said, you know, you define yourself as an artist, um, but at your own peril. Uh, I think it's really healthy to to look at it and go, yeah, it's a job. And it's mm-hmm. not that it's not a job that I don't love and that doesn't mean so much to me, a job that I would do over any other job. Um, but but when you start looking at it like a job, it makes it so much easier to draw some healthy boundaries around it. Mm. And um, and I think that's fine. It's okay to sort of smash that romanticism a little bit and be a little practical about it. You can enter a state of 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 real profound creativity and whimsy and whatever you need to be inspired. You can go and chase the muse. But you can actually, you, you can do that for like eight hours in a day, like a normal person would go and clock in and out of a job. And then you can set that aside and, and read a book, go for a run, spend time with people and, and have those things as well. And it'll just make you a more creative person and it'll give you more to draw from. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do I mean, in the studio. <clears throat> I, I work nine, I work nine to five. Uh, and a lot of times I actually work 10 to four and it's just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, yeah. If something is urgent, I'll respond to an email, but I'm not doing it until the next day. <laughs> kids, kids will give you that kind of perspective. But is that is that what you guys meant when um, you know? Because there was there was quite a gap between uh, "Let It Lie" and the '87 album that came out in 2019. Um, and you know, I read that you talked about how it, well, Dave, you stepped away for a while. Joe, you went and did a couple of stellar solo albums, which I really love. Um, but you talked about coming back into to 87 um and when that came out you said there was a lot to um 
uh, you wanted to get back to making music. So twofold, one, were you guys about to just like make Brothers Landreth? That was like your only album. And then you decided to get back together and B, um, what was a lot? You said that there was a lot to unpack, quote unquote. Is this what we're talking about? These kind of decisions, like how much did we want to spend time wise and where we really were in our heads at that point? Yeah, and, and I, I mean, the reality it's is... It's almost is that, that, like that sophomore curse kind of thing, too. Uh, definitely some of that. But the reality is that we um, we didn't really start to unpack that stuff until we started making Come Morning. And 87 was oh, okay. a tough record to make because we wanted so badly to get back to it, but we were still having the same struggles. And we were still fighting to balance, to balance. Yeah, what struggles? What we've been talking about, or this yeah, or what we've else? been talking about, and and like just being being on the road and not having a clear idea of how much time we were going to spend away and how much time we were going to be home and prioritizing those needs, because it was you know we we would go into a year going okay we're only going to do this and then it'd be like well if you guys are going to go and do this if you're going to go to San Francisco play this then mm. you should then you should probably go down the coast if you're going to go all the way there. You might as well yeah. go up and down the coast. Well, well if you're going to go a, down, that, you that might as well a reasonable. You reasonable might as well stop. go back up. You know, <laughs> and and so those are <laughs> that those moments. Stop. Exactly. And well, <laughs> if you get back up, like before you cross the border, you might as well head back to, you know, over to Minneapolis and then go home. You know, there's always something. There's and so mm. we we were we were suffering from that a little bit, and mm. um, you know, we made '87, and then we didn't really tour it until until 2019 and then the pandemic happened so we didn't even get to finish yeah. touring it and when we started to work on on the record dave and i just had a lot of stuff to work through we had a lot of con tough conversations to have going back to going back to the the sort of break that happened around let it lie and just like process it and talk about it and tell each other how it made mm -hmm. us feel and tell it you know i had to tell him why what i was afraid of and he had to tell me you know what hurt and we just had to go through it. And those were conversations that we had never had. We weren't, we weren't comfortable having them. We didn't know how to have them. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like I was, you know, I was, I'd also started therapy. Like when we got home from, from tour in, in 19, I started going to therapy and I just started having Good all of you. these breakthroughs and, and we would, oh. we would have conversations and I'd go, Oh man, this is tied to this. And now I understand oh, why man. I'm like this when this happens. So, you know, I mean, at the risk of airing too much dirty laundry, which I'm not, a, I'm not well, obviously not dirty afraid laundry, to share, man. but we're all, we're all, we're all friends here. Yeah. It <sighs> just was, there were conversations that needed to happen and we were finally yeah. happening. They were finally happening. And we were actually in a place where we could make decisions about how we wanted to move forward on the same page, on the same feet, from the same perspective. And it was a lot easier to be able to say, I don't, I don't want to do that. And and know the other guy had your back or vice versa, and we could mm. you know we we could be, um, and it's not like we have a team of people who are always like get the boys on the road. It's not like that, <laughs> uh, you know. We have an incredibly supportive team, but it's almost as much from ourselves, you know, because that that sort of ambition that Dave sort of brought up earlier um, is always there. So you know, we we have to kind of keep each other going. Like, ah, do we actually have to do that? You know. Should we maybe just stay home or, you know, I don't know. And there, it's, it's more than just not going on the road when people want you to go on the road. There's, there's all kinds of other shit too. But, um, yeah, I think it just, when, when you did, when you guys had those conversations together, did you use a therapist to like 
referee or are you, we, guys we have, good like, are you guys like good at talking with one another not getting too pissed off and sort of keeping on point because that's important when you do when you when you air those really things that are really deeply important to one another i think when it comes to like joe and i will scrap over stuff like flight times shit like uh, that yeah like yeah we'll yeah. we'll, we'll get into each other logistics I'll, I'll tease him about right. his driving and he'll get cranky he'll tease me about something and, and we'll get we'll get into a little scrap but when it comes to like the real stuff we communicate really well and we're really oh, really gentle with each other we're really patient and kind we have the same therapist like <laughs> we do she was my oh, therapist boy. first yeah. for the record <laughs> but, she knows uh, way too much she about knows you too guys. much yeah somewhere there is a therapist that well, has the keys to it's everything. actually probably pretty good because she can like secretly in her own head sort of guide you guys almost together I, knowing I, what you're both well, telling man, you I think about I don't you know, know what? I, I, it's yeah. interesting because I, I, I wonder, I wonder who knows, maybe she'll hear this and she'll be like, oh God. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, and it's okay if, if this is not true for you, but I don't, I don't talk about Dave in therapy. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Because our, 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 our relationship, our relationship is open enough mm. that if something needs to be dealt with, um, we just, we just kind of deal with it, you yeah. know? And, and, uh, and because I've often thought about our therapist and been like, man, if I talked about you more, this would probably be a conflict. Yeah, I've had that thought too. Yeah, but but, be, <laughs> but really because you you so seldom ever enter something unless it's something that I'm trying to process from from a before time. Uh, right, right, and, right, right. You know, oh, I didn't mean you guys were like talking shit about each other to her, and then she's sort of like processing. No, that no, no. That. Like she, knowing what like your own individual Dave, struggles zero are. Joey. Yeah, yeah right. she's well, got I, a little tally sheet. But what a little, what a, what a, a tap dance, and she does it. I mean, to her credit, does it extremely well. It's never, it's never once come up. But I have definitely thought of like, I'm telling you a story from something that's happened to me that you've probably heard before from a different perspective, and you have to look surprised, <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you wow, probably that's heard this deep, dude. <laughs> yeah. but, but whatever. Um, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah right. No, well, they just do a lot of uh huh. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And, and how does that make you feel? Yeah. 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 I, I will say, like you know, you're asking, like it, it really the the break that happened, which I think we often, you know, we talk about it as a hiatus or whatnot, but like that that spell, if we're if we're spending this much time in the in the arena, then you know, like that was ultimately me coming to the band after a number of years of getting progressively more and more unhappy and hiding some pretty serious depression, finally coming to Joey and going, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Um, and my marriage was, um, was on the ropes. Like we were, we were in really, really rough shape. And mm. I, and I felt like I had to make at, at the time I only knew how to do all, all in or nothing at all. And I didn't, I didn't realize there was even an option. I think, Ultimately, because I had tied my identity so uniquely to being an artist that I couldn't fathom making room for anything else. And I had no idea how to make mm. my family, which was, you know, just the two of us at that point. But I had no idea how to make room for that at all. It was one or the other. Yeah. Um, and so I made a really, really difficult decision to get off the road and to, in my mind, I, I had to turn my back entirely on music. Because I didn't know how to throttle. I didn't, that, that gas in the clutch metaphor, I had no concept of how to do that truly. Mm. Um, and, my, and my mental health was, was just in such rough shape. I didn't know it at the time. Because once I got off the road, then I, I sort of fell 
flat on my face and landed in a very serious depression that lasted for about three years, two and a half oh, years, shit. give or take. And uh, I had been covering it up. I didn't realize, you know, that I'd been keeping it at bay, living in a state of just constant anxiety and stress. And, um, but that those years, that record 87 came out of a frantic attempt to just rush back into music to embrace it again without any, doing any of the, the work and having those conversations, mm. sitting down with Joey and explaining to him where I was at and what I was struggling with. I was, we were just like, we've missed this. We both missed this. Let's, let's make another record. And I think what yeah. had happened ultimately was that we found some money. Yeah. And, and that was like, I want to make a record so bad and Hey, we can pay for it. So let's just, let's do it. Let's make this record. And and I remember you, Joe, I'm looking at Joe here, but I'm like, I remember sitting down with Joe and our manager, Stu, and you guys being like, man, this is exciting, but terrifying. What's changed? How is this going to be better? Like you, you broke our hearts when you set the band down and, and we, and they had my back. Like they never made me feel like I was making a wrong decision at any point. They had, I, I knew that I was supported, yeah. but it was devastating because we had all put everything into this, this adventure that we were on together and they, and they worked through it. They did it on their own end. They, they pushed through, they, Joey's embraced his solo career and, and had to fully, had to fully embrace it in order to chase it down. And mm-hmm. then I came back, was like, oh, I, I want to make this record. I miss music. I miss you guys. Let's make this record. And, and I sort of dragged them into it without, without doing any of that work. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we always say this cause I don't want to paint that record in the wrong light. Cause I love that record. And because it is an accurate representation of where we were at the time mm-hmm. and it, and we, we made it with a lot of heart, but there was this air of like anxiety and tension around it. Cause it was like, what are we doing here? And why is this going to mm. usurp the solo career? Are we getting the band back together? Or is this just, is this just a one and done? Like, and the band too, you know, the, at that time well, we had, did it, did it matter, did it matter what it was at that point? Like, if, did you have to put like, could you have to encapsulate it in some kind of verbal format? Or, I mean, you guys put together a great album. Yeah. Well, at the time it did, it did because it was like, uh-huh. what is the intention behind this? Like, what uh-huh. are we doing with it? And, and I, and I think if I could have just said, Hey, we're just making a great record. Let's not worry about it. Yeah. That would have been mm. one thing, but I couldn't, mm. I couldn't. Mm. And that that wasn't in our wheelhouse, though. Like, yeah. And you think about everything we've been talking about, and like my, um, my greatest growth in terms of my understanding of who I am and all that stuff has happened in the last two years. So we Mm. went into '87, and I had put everything into a solo career, and I was trying to, I you know, I was pounding the pavement. I worked so hard behind that stuff, and so the idea of making another record with the Bros was like, I am going to rest this and then get back into this boat and i'm going to sail this boat as far as i can so it was like there was no like hey let's just make another brothers landreth record let's just do it um which which is you know funny enough kind of how we went into this record and we're just like who fucking knows when we're gonna get back on the road nobody knows nobody we may never be able to leave canada ever again so let's just make a record See what happens. Let's just let's just tell people how we're feeling through song and uh, see what happens. Right. And this record feels better than anything we've ever made because I think for some reason it it all the pressure is off and it's mm. somehow accomplishing more than we ever wanted. And I think it's like I actually do think it's very much related to the fact that 
or to the thing that I was saying before about I'm playing less, I'm thinking about music less, I'm I'm practicing guitar less, yet I'm still playing better than ever because I think that um that in making art we we forget that art has more to do with 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 living your life and your intention than it does yeah. to your, to your skill set. <clears throat> totally. So, it's like <clears throat> I think that about where you are in one particular point. It's a reflection of who you are. It's so it's so inherent in what you guys do just learning the little bit that i know about you during this conversation it's like it really for you guys it has a lot to do with what your mental outlook is and where you are at one particular point both on your own and with your relationship together and both of your relationship with your art form Some, something so interesting happened with this record that we didn't figure out until after and we both sort of sheepishly admitted months after the record was done it's like what are you listening to it's kind of like oh uh, kind of just just the record man and and joe was like shit me too and that's never happened with a record before oh really uh, and i have i think i have a better understanding of why i feel this way why we feel this way about this album because when i think of this record and this is not this is not a self-congratulatory way this is an, an in no way um me saying that i think this is great like quantifiably great it's not about that at all but when i listen to this record i have this profound sense of gratitude like I, I'm genuinely moved and I'm just so grateful that we got a chance to make it. Mm. And I've never felt that way about a record because every other record we made, we had all these intentions with it. We are making a record that is going to make us a band. That was the first one because you need an mm. album to be a band. So yeah. we're going to make this album, which will make us a band. And then we get to do band things. <laughs> and then all the other projects that we've made have always been, okay, it's time for a record. We, mm. It's time for another album cycle. It's a tool to accomplish a job that has all these expectations behind it. And so the, the relationship with the album is tainted by, well, did you achieve those expectations? To what degree? To what extent? Mm. Did you over it? You know, did, did you smash it out of the park? Did it fall short in some ways? There's right. none of that with this record. Because all we wanted to do, like Joey called me at some point in the first couple months of the pandemic, I don't remember when exactly, and said, hey, we should start writing for a new record. I was like, that's a great idea. And yeah. we did. And it was like, hey, we have enough songs. We should record the record. Great. And we did. And we made it. And we love it. And we're so happy about it. And that's, that's it. so cool. And that's, that's it. So it's cool. done. It's just like everything yeah. else that comes from it is circumstantial. A lot of people worked really hard on marketing it and and pushing it and doing all that stuff. And now we're going to go and tour it. But that stuff happened after the, the, the record exists only to exist. And well, when I, you talk, when, and when you talked about this album, you said you'd like these songs lean, tw I'm quoting like lean toward hard stuff, like processing emotional trauma. Was there something else that uniquely happened that was really, really horrible? Or, or were you just sort of like talking about what we've been talking about in just different words? Who hurt you? Yeah, I mean, it's, no, I mean, it, was there like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if like something horrible happened. It sounded really serious. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, some horrible shit happened. For I mean, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm saying like emotional trauma <laughs> can come in a very variety of different forms. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it like we we didn't really, I mean, and that that sort of piece that you're quoting from, um, was written toward the end of everything. We didn't really have an idea of what this record was all about until it was finished. And we were sitting down listening to it and, and we started to, we honestly started to do interviews and talk to people about it and started to connect lines and draw sort of mm. threads in between. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that there's like, yes, this, this record is about processing trauma and grief, but it's more about, about restructuring the narrative of the trauma and the grief. 
And like, you know, so there's like songs like um, Come Morning and Don't Feel Like Crying, which are which are about letting yourself feel the way that you're feeling about the loss of something. Yeah. And then there are songs like You Don't Know Me and uh, Shame, which are about losing a dear friend. Um, mm. And then, you know, there's heartbreak and yeah so there's it it it's it's all that stuff but the but the overarching theme is about looking that stuff in the face and then coming out on the other side more intact than you were before and so in in that the the record winds up for us being an incredibly hopeful collection and mm. it's and it really is even though it's sort of it's kind of there's a lot of somber uh kind of bummer stuff on there it's actually really joyful for us and when we go out and play this record live we're having a fucking blast yeah. that's cool because that's because cool. a lot of that like a lot of the stuff that the the content has kind of been processed at least a little bit and now we're just able to to live in the joy of it which is which is super fun oh, that's had, great that's great i'll add to that like the it has been really cool because again this this album just feels so different in so many ways because mm-hmm. our relationship with it is changing as we go on. And I hope to God people aren't listening to this and be like, these guys are so full of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, fair. If you, if you make that assessment, uh, how could you I mean, in all otherwise? fairness, I'm giving you guys the platform to talk about yourselves sure. and keep, like, asking yeah. other questions about <laughs> we'll it. We'll interview so, you. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, yeah. Yeah. Um, they are but, not all about themselves. I'm a willing participant in this dance. <laughs> the, uh, the Josh Rosenberg interview w- uh, where he's interviewed by the Brothers Landreth is coming up next. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, fair. That's fair. So I think, like, thematically, this record ended up, and, and again, not super intentionally, but wound up being kind of a call to arms to embrace your grief and trauma. And this idea that, like, moving through grief and trauma, processing it, understanding it, spending time with it, giving it the space it deserves is not suffering inherently. This idea that like avoiding it is to avoid suffering is, is upside down. Living with the weight of this unresolved trauma and grief burdening you, that is suffering. That is like this living in this purgatory. Um, and, and people people live their entire lives there. And, and I think we all spend yeah. time in that, that waiting, you know, that Dr. Seuss book, uh, the places you'll go, he talks about the waiting place. Uh-huh. We all spend time, we all <laughs> spend time in the waiting place inevitably, but you can get trapped there and, and it, and, and it's, that, yeah, you can we, be like a functional addict of that space. Mm. Um, but I want to, I want to share another sort of anecdotal thing. I don't think we've spoken yeah. about this, Joe. There's a song on the record called Shame, and it's a record that I wrote, or it's one of the songs that I wrote, I brought to the table. And mm-hmm. I wrote it about a character in our lives, I thought. I wrote this song about somebody else, I thought. And I've mm-hmm. spent all this time with the lyrics, and we recorded it, and we've been spending all this time singing. And I had this moment, I was the, the lyrics came up, I was doing some admin work, and for whatever reason, the lyrics, I needed to pull up the lyrics to, to yeah. fill something out. And I looked at the lyrics and sort of read them dispassionately and was just mm-hmm. like oh you fucking dummy this is not about somebody else this is about you and i, and I also yeah. i've been having this spending time with this idea that like judgment is is never you you can't really judge somebody else you can only judge the things in yourself that you see in them so when you're being critical and harsh about anybody or you're saying an unkind word you're really you're looking at your reflection and I had this moment where I realized that this yeah. song that I'd written about a character was about, and the song Shame is about, you know, feeling shame about a relationship dissolving, letting somebody go. 
parting ways. And I realized that this song was not about this character because it was, it was easier for me to reflect on them than it was to hold up the mirror. And I realized it's about my own sobriety and my own shame that I carry about that time in my life and the people yeah. that I hurt. And it was just like this really heavy realization that, you know, music is medicine and, and we write it cathartically for ourselves, but it's like this relationship with the song flipped and and suddenly wow. I was staring at my own self going, Oh shit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, no, no, here you are. You, you know, you're not judging somebody else. You're judging yourself. And, and, and when I le- read the lyrics now, it's just like, it's so plain. It's right there. It's self-evident. It's like, you are, you, you are being really hard on yourself. So, so wow, yeah, that's, that's cool that's experience. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, man. Cause like, yeah, that way that we all like judge ourselves in our worst moments and, and rip ourselves a fucking new one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and, and yeah, that's an interesting, I, I love what you said about like judging other people because we see like little bits that we don't like about ourselves, you know, that's like super philosophical and, um, <laughs> and, and like really, um, like almost like Gandhian, like loving other people and seeing how they're just like the mirror, the reflection of, of, of yourself and other people. Oh, there's all, there's all kinds of things. Wow. That's, that's amazing, dude. That's really cool. That's really cool. Wow. Joe, you said you hadn't heard that, that story. What, what is, what, what impact does that have on you? Oh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, we've never really talked about it publicly, but, um, it's, it's interesting because I think we've been having, I, I've been, especially since my daughter has been born, I've been having these massive come to Jesus moments where I realize, like, I, I'm, I'm, I see myself manifest in my kid. I see she makes, there's a face that I make that I make all the time in photographs <laughs> when, I, when, pe- when I don't know somebody is taking a picture. And every time I see it, I'm like, fuck, I hate it when I make that face. <laughs> and then, you know, when my daughter was old enough to start making faces, she made this face and I saw myself, I saw this face, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't possibly bring myself to hate it. Um, And I realized through, through witnessing, witnessing her make this face, I was able to sort of retrain um, my own perspective on myself Mm -hmm. Uh, because I can't, there's, there's like very few things that she does that, that actually that I hate. (laughs) There's nothing she does that I hate. Yeah, of course. So I I feel like we're, we're in this time in our lives when we are, when we're starting to actually understand the weight of our interaction with our, our world. And, Hmm. um, and we're observe, observing ourselves for the first time. And I think, you know, maybe that's kids will do that. Well, kids, but maybe that's you know, youth where you're just sort of innately self-centered, like not in not in like an egomania kind of way, but you're just you're just figuring it out. Whereas yeah. now, I think I think there's just this new perspective. And when you said that the other day about realizing that shame was shame was actually about you and not about this other person, I I kind of I kind of it's kind of made me think like, well, how much of everything else that we've written. I mean, there there are very clear autobiography tunes to me, but yeah. when I start to go through the whole collection, it it really is just about it's all 
it's all about us. Like not in not in like the egomania way, but all you can do as an artist is share your own perspective and mm. show people your version of humanity. And so, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. And it's so how so how gratifying is that when your fans identify with things that you've said and and either you know what you know what fan reaction is like on social media or whatever but also from a live perspective how what, what impact does that have on either of you either of you can take this but yeah, sure. um to to be in that live perspective put that very what we've been talking about is like some very personal stuff and very you know reflecting on your growth as humans and and as artists and being so proud of this uh of your of your your new album um what does that what kind of effect does that have on you dave well okay here's here's like the Here's the, in my mind, the best part of the whole gig mm. is that we write these songs and whether we know it at the time or not, they're all about us, apparently. They're this, these cathartic exercises in exploring the things that we see in the world, mm. um, processing the things that we feel that, we've, that we're thinking about. You give birth to these little ideas. Some of them just land in your lap. Some you really you fight really hard for. Then you record them. You spend send them out in the world, or you stand on stage and you play them. And somebody in the audience has this experience where they listen to that song. And go, I get that. That's this is my story. This is my breakup. This is my um, my struggle. This is my addiction. My whatever grief, yeah. trauma, whatever it is we're writing out. Excitement, love, this good things too. They sit there and they, and now these stories become theirs. They they put their own narrative to it. And mm. if we do our jobs right, we can write these songs in a way that they're not just exercises in narcissism and, and talking about ourselves. We're exploring ideas that we think are common to the human experience. Yeah, and universal somebody can, truth. Almost. Yeah, somebody can step in and, and go, hey, that's mine now. That tells my story. Totally. And then and then it helps them because I, I know we've had that experience. We all we can all think of songs that have saved our lives at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah, that kind yeah. of impact. So when you do your job right and you and you knock it out of the park, you you create an opportunity for something like that to happen. And that is truly well, the that is the chef's kiss. When you talk about doing your job right, is that like taking the personal and finding the kernel of universal truth in it and making that the theme a little you bit? Know, you know what? I I, I I think actually it's the opposite. I think the more oh. the more intimate you go into details, the easier it is for somebody to latch onto it. You know, and mm. I think like I've heard people say, Don't don't give too too much away about your personal story because nobody's gonna be able to connect. Somebody told me that about oh. a song I had written about being an alcoholic. Um and uh said, Nobody wants to hear you talk about being a drunk. And uh that just could not be less true. Because so many people struggle with substance abuse or some kind of addiction or some kind of struggle where you feel like you're perpetually drawn to something. And how many times I've had somebody go, oh, man, is that song about a girl? You're like, no, it's it's about whiskey. <laughs> it's like literally <laughs> about booze. But right. I, I just I think it, it it like those sort of like. Those rough and scratchy details are kind of like velcro to people's hearts you know you just kind of you just kind of mm. you you can see there i feel like there are more angles by which you can go into something and i think about songs like cover me up by jason isbell and he talks about oh, he talks he paints such a vivid picture and even though that's not my experience it's, it's me in that room when he's singing it's not him mm. it's me 
Yeah. Those you know are, what I mean? Those, those details excellent anchor you. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they... they it's part of the storytelling. Yeah, and but I think they, it's... They let you it's, get lost in it. I think it's yeah. in the sharing. Like, I always, I always use this word, but I think it's really important in art. It's about the sharing of your humanity. And it's not about... It's not necessarily about the about the story or the or the the exact details that need to match up, but it's about the, it's about the humanity in it, which everyone has in common. Well, being and, vulnerable, and artists are really good at being vulnerable than putting their stuff out there. You have to; it's part of your job. It's what yeah. makes it so compelling, and that's that's the juice. That's the secret sauce because not everyone can do that, but everyone identifies with it ultimately not everyone but yeah. so many music fans identify with your ability to get up there as an artist and you know open up a vein those those are the things that draw me into music and i think that uh, my wife and i talk about this a lot because she she loves a good movie like a good dramatic deep hard hitting and i just i just want to watch marvel movies because for <laughs> And 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 we kind of feel the same way about music. Well, she's she's a great great lover of music, but yeah. she listens to more more stuff that passively. Whereas I can't listen to music passively. If I'm going to put yeah. on a record, it's because I want it to tear me down and put me back together. I don't really want to listen to something in the background. And I feel the same way about movies. Like she wants something to rip her heart out and and give it back to her anew. And I just want something to kill time. So like I want to watch yeah. Iron Man fly around and do awesome shit and <laughs> and she wants to watch Oscar Isaac have a breakdown. And right, but I right. think I think with uh, Well you're making the argument why people don't want to come to your show, but the reason why <laughs> they do want to come to your show <laughs> yeah is because they love what you do and you are getting letting them get to that point and identify with with what you guys have been through because you put it, you know, because you create it and and show it in 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 a beautiful way that people can identify with. And you're vulnerable enough to put it out there. And I think we're at a state in our career too where we're we're making peace with that that we're not going to be everything to everyone, mm. um, and that we and that was another part of making this record is there there was no thought we 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 did not waste any time worrying about oh is this record going to fit here or there do we have enough fast songs there was mm. there was one moment where we thought oh, okay, we should probably write something like this. And we started working on it and we were both like, Ugh, I don't, I won't do this. Hell no. Yeah, it's right. Just, Sorry, we did mm. We did waste probably one afternoon. Yeah, but it, <laughs> but I think, but I don't know. We've, we've always, we've always trusted our gut from the beginning of our careers to now where, you know, we've, in the early days, we had lots and lots of opportunities presented to us, people being very generous with their time and their resources and saying, you know, hey, if you guys just do this, you could go all the way. And we go, can't do it. With lo like, man, how many times have people said, if you just had one hit, we're like, if, if there's a way for me to write a hit song that I want to stand behind every night and I, and, and it's not that I don't want to hit, it's just that I haven't written something that I think f would go and I want to stand behind versus everything in our set list. Now I'm, I enjoy standing behind. And if that means that we're only ever going to play to like max 1500 people at one time outside of a music festival that's okay like that's, that's pretty damn good though it's a pretty big that. crowd yeah i mean we 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 do pretty well at home in london we had we get some pretty high numbers <laughs> but i mean we just our last tour like i think the biggest room was 300 people but that's a lot great. of people it feels great that's a lot that's of fun. If you're connecting with each one of those people, sometimes you're connect. That's more than you're going to connect with in a fifteen hundred room. I don't know. A hundred percent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. It's I'm super not intimate. You know. I'm not looking like down my nose at it. That's my favorite. Like my favorite. My favorite show to play is a is a sweaty club show 
between like, I mean, honestly, if the club is small enough, 50 people can feel great. Yeah. So, but, but totally. yeah, you do lose that intimacy when you start to get into the thousands and, and, uh, anyways, yeah, all that to say, that's just, that's just me justifying our lack of fame. <laughs> I like it like oh, this. Wow, this is going dark now. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm just. But joking. you guys both, um, not to go like another hour here, but you guys both struggled with sobriety at one point. Was that yeah. like at the same time, or how did that work out in terms of? Uh, by the way, congratulations that you're sober, and Thanks. you know I know that's like so fucking difficult in so many different ways, and everyone has their own journey. I talked to a lot of artists that that struggle with that as well. Um, but because you're brothers, because you're in the same band, because you guys are super tight, was that at the same time? What, what did that sort of look like from from that perspective as you were both struggling with that? Uh, I got sober first. I got sober mm. in 2010, mm. in uh, the end of August 2010, which is uh, coming up on 12 years sober. Yeah, wow. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways I got lucky because I got off that train early it uh it's it it's sort of like it escalated very quickly right before i got sober and, and um i'd been partying really hard and drinking really hard and and then i sort of discovered hard drugs and uh that that accelerated my path to sobriety pretty quickly yeah. um good. and i was just lucky i i was just i think i'm just lucky you know like that i was able to sort of um realize the ride that I was sort of headed or the, the road that I was headed down and, and, um, and sober up when I did it, it, the sobering up is, is I think a lot of people will speak to this too, is just the first step. You kind of, you, you dodge that bullet and then you're left with, uh, the why, the why. Yeah. And, and that's something I think, honestly, I still am, am answering daily or mm. you know you mean the why and like what were you searching for by like yeah drinking wh- a lot what was i why was i hurting myself why did i think uh, that was okay why was i sacrificing people and uh in order to to live in that state why did i think that was all right and um and it just yeah i think it's a bit of a lifelong pursuit you know like i am i am the variety of addict that i, I won't be able to ever have a drink again you know i have that kind of appetite and i have that thing in me. And I, and I also, I struggle with it in other places too. I, I have to be careful. Like it's, it's definitely in me, like Joey mentioned to sort of like lose myself in things, uh, which mm. sometimes that's good. That's a good thing. Know? Yeah. But, Some... um, but when it comes to drugs and alcohol, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, so I got sober in 2010 and then, uh, Joey was, yeah. New Year's day, 2015. Yep. So five years later. Yep. Give or take uh, four and a half years. What that looked like when you were like, but when you were sober, Dave and Joey, you weren't. Uh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> did, did his survive, I wasn't did, really did, there. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay. no, you know, what, I but mean, ultimately, did his sobriety like help you? His sobriety was definitely, uh, it it definitely hung over me. My dad, our dad, is also sober, uh, mm. and and uh, uh, so there's a, there's a, and I mean like. Addicts are everywhere, especially in the music industry. Less now. I'm I'm seeing a lot more people who are getting clean and sober, which I think is really really cool. But, um, yeah. I mean, like I I knew that I had a drinking problem probably in 
2012 or 13 and I started to try and get sober then but mm. it it took it took me it took me about 3 years to actually kick it um and it wasn't it wasn't until I actually kind of finally said it out loud you know and it was after an epic night which which uh I won't brag about because it's I think people love to hear the war stories but it's actually not something that I think I would I like to I I don't like to uh sacrifice that version of me just for the entertainment of others but it was oh, it was a really no, <laughs> <laughs> sorry if, if, you, if you get a copy of my book though it's all in there no, i'm kidding um it was just so, a, which a, is forthcoming that's right that's right yeah yeah out in the fall um yeah it uh, just a really really heavy night uh of partying and and then just kind of having a moment of of clarity and uh just sort of saying this is about as crazy as uh as it needs to get and so i'm going to take a break and i got i I told i told my girlfriend then who's now my wife i said i'm going to take i'm going to take 10 to 10 days off and i made it to day two and i said i think i I think i feel good and she said you said 10 days get to 10 days just get to day Mm. 10 and i woke up on the morning of the 11th day and knew that i just couldn't go back and so my sobriety was really about maintaining that number initially was there's no there's no turning back i ha- i haven't gone this long without a drink in 10 years and at that point i was 25 or 27 so um that's not something that i'm necessarily proud of so i i'm going to just keep this going and um i think for me you know much like dave and i think much like a lot of addicts you find yourself sort of um burdened by the 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 overdoing of things and um too much of anything is no good you know i did this i i went from drinking to running and i went from weighing 210 pounds to weighing 160 and i was like counting calories and you know i only ate this this many calories for breakfast and this snack and then i only had salads with a little bit of tuna on it for lunch it was you know it was obsessing over something else obsessing over something else and replacing it with something that didn't turn me into a raging asshole um, but also the same thing. And it, and it was another excuse to not be in my own body. And I think that that's what, what, um, booze was for me was I don't think I knew, I know I didn't know who I was. I had zero love and respect for myself. And so alcohol allowed me to be in myself, if that makes sense, that came out wrong but it it <laughs> yeah i thought you were talking about being like outside of yourself I got no no yeah 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 exactly it, it just it it allowed me to not have to be present and right. and and right. uh and i think that the hardest thing about sobriety was being faced with that this is it this is who i am and now so i have to learn how to be here and it's you know yeah. i'm still there i'm like uh seven eight years into sobriety Good for you man congratulations kind of... to you and, and to both of you guys for that man that's that's awesome but that sort of dovetails into dave i, I want to circle back something you said before about looking at trauma and pain and being able to live in that and and appreciating that um <clears throat> how essential it is to approach those things head on and to, to, to live healthier and not to avoid. You talked about people like living in a space that was like avoiding that kind of trauma. You know, I had a good friend of mine that recently passed away. I just attended his memorial service out in California a couple weeks ago. Um, and yeah, so I've been dealing with that level of trauma recently um, and grief and, and, but 
you realize, because you go, you know, as you guys probably know, you go through all those different types of phases, right? Where you like are looking directly at it or just trying to live with it. What is that like? And realizing that you've got to deal with it mm. and, and, and be, you know, kind of be in your body about it and, and what the effect that it has. You can't avoid that level of trauma, you know? And, and his memorial, what was interesting is memorial service was like a month after the day he passed. So, you know, you go through all these different waves. And when I finally, of grief and acceptance and reflection, and when I finally got to the memorial service, you know, it was like a way, like a whole weight had been lifted off of me to be with other people that were going through the same thing. Yeah. Ultimately that, and to, to face those kind of things head on. It's a little bit about what you're talking about, about needing to be either outside of your body or not accepting what, what's actually going on. You know, fortunately I don't, I don't struggle with drinking or else I probably, you know, I would have during that time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's interesting just how, you know, you have to accept yourself and accept all these other kinds of emotions that just come through and, and, and deal with these things head on and not avoid them. Well, and I think something that we, we forget, um, and this is like, I think in, in society, there's just like, I mean, certainly for everybody, but especially for men of our vintage, it's, there's like, there, there's a, there's an acceptable amount of um, emoting. Uh, and I think it's like burnt into us that we have to, we have to process these things quietly and privately if, if they're yeah. processed at all. Um, but something somebody said to me once just hit me like a ton of bricks and they, and they said, um, experiencing your emotions is a bodily function. So like <sighs> if, if you're itchy, you scratch your arm. You know, these are, yeah. these are clumsy metaphors. Um, yeah. or you, you, you gotta pee, you go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but when you experience grief and trauma, you cry, you mourn, you, you, you grieve. Yeah. And when, like, and again, this is a clumsy analogy, but, but it it really helped me kind of get to the next step in my own sort of mental health of um just experiencing those things. I I lost I lost a friend um during the pandemic and it was oh, the first sorry. time I've ever yeah, thanks. And and sorry about your friend as well. Thank um, you. The first time I actually mourned someone and what it looked like for me was was I didn't I had no idea that that's what morning was i i was inconsolable for days yeah. and it, it just took like letting everything out and just like screaming at the world i can't believe that i i lost i lost this person like this um yeah. and i can't believe that i don't get to say goodbye i can't believe that you know and it just when i got to the other end of it it was the first time that i was able to like look at photos and, and reminisce and go, God, I sure miss her, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think it, I think it's because I, I just, I, and also I had no choice. Like there was, there was no way I could hold that in anyway, but yeah, you got to process it. And like, I work with a coach slash therapist and she was like, yeah, tears are cleansing. And I just always say that to myself. I'm like, yeah, you feel better afterwards for sure. Yeah. You know, it's just like weird when it all comes out. And then I was like seeing my morning jacket over the weekend and it came out during a couple of songs. Sure. It was the first shows I'd seen of them since that was one of his favorite bands. And the, you know, wow. Shit. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, the measure of a man was once like stoicism and seriousness and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, you know, or I, how much I don't, you could drink or how much you could drink or how much you can drink, how hard you could party. And I don't love like, you know, o o overly gendered, like shit like that. But 
you know, is is not like the measure of a man is it is it not like being able to deal with your problems head on, even if that means mourning for days, just dealing with your shit. Like that to me yeah. is is way more the that's that's the man that I want my kids to grow up seeing is someone who is not afraid to deal with the hard stuff when it's time to deal with the hard stuff, rather than someone who who will bottle everything up and drink themselves into an early grave or stress themselves into an early grave. Yeah. That's yeah, the, if it doesn't that's come out precedent. some way, it's going to, yeah. If it doesn't come out one way, it's going to come out another. That's the precedent and, I want to um, set. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. kind of like gendered lines and, and, and silos of ways to behave are bogus, you know? And I think it's kind of changing. It's unfortunate that that exists. And I, and I do think things are changing slowly, but surely. Totally, totally. I, I absolutely I think they are. And it's, it's uncomfortable for lots, lots of folks. And it's, I mean, like, I love, I love the degendering thing of things. And it's uncomfortable for me sometimes. But I think it's, I think it's a really, it's really, really great. I'm very inspired by the younger generation who are, who are totally. not, not struggling with these things. They're just going, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh yeah, the whole, yeah. All, all of the all of the different gender identification issues and how people feel free to identify in any way that they want. I think that's wonderful. You know, yeah. what the fuck am I to say? Like, who, how somebody should identify from a gender perspective? Totally. It's like, yeah, it's your own personal decision. There's right, right, right. There's you know emotionally, but but again, like there, there's this wonderful wild cornucopia, this rainbow spectrum of of experiences and and ways of being in the world and i think we've grown up with this idea that you must be joyful in order to to have a a good life or a life worth living it's it's about Mm. accumulating as much joy and i i don't know that that's true i think it's just about being present for the for the spectrum of experiences that you may have and and at times you will be very joyful at times you will be crushed and and you as you go through life you will find new new limits you didn't know you had because you will be pushed past those boundaries you will grieve harder you will be sadder about things now that we have kids i recognize that there are some moments coming where i'm going to experience sadness oh yeah like and frustration never, oh, frustration been there man <laughs> yeah. Two and a half. I feel yeah. like i'm learning new new thresholds there but I got three kids. I didn't even reveal that, man. My oldest oh. is 25. My youngest is a senior in high school, and I got a middle one who just turned 20. You don't look old oh, enough yeah. to have a 25-year-old. Come on. What's your Thank secret? You. Thank you. Thank you. He come puts on. butter on his face every morning. He butter. <laughs> come on. I mean, Dairy you got to moisturize. Like, come on, you know? <laughs> For real. But, yeah, so then, you know, you, you're already further down that path. But it, it, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's about... I think it's about just being open to all these experiences, but that, that translates to everything else too. It's like everybody else is out there living their little confusing, hard struggle of an existence and, and who fucking cares? Let them, let them be, let them be Mm. and let the person next to you be and let them do their thing and, and tend your own garden, mind your own business. And, and just, you know, like I, I really, yeah, I embrace that. Everybody's got to go out and have that, that experience and it's wide and it's wonderful. And, and you're going to spend time in all those different places and, and that'll yeah. just be the adventure of being alive. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, experiencing the joy feels good, but there's all kinds of different emotions that you also have to appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, for, and, for and, sure. and acknowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah. and this idea yeah. that like growth and prosperity are intrinsically linked, it's like, that's like an, that's like an, that's like a, a, a capitalist, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, I just mean literally like the economic, idea of capitalism is based on prosperity and growth being linked and it's just like that's just that just 
hyper simplifies the human existence in a way that is just not appropriate. Like that may be true of economic models, but we can all experience a tremendous prosperity without having to, having to push that hard. It's just like you can prosper by having that range of emotions and just showing up to be yourself today, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah you know? totally, totally. Wow, awesome guys. We covered yeah. a lot of ground here. I think we, I think we did, it, didn't we? Yeah, totally. <laughs> did we, talk, we didn't even talk about music. Hardly. Don't don't a ask us bit, any more questions. We'll be here for another ninety minutes. Uh, well, I did. I, okay, you snuck uh, musical like your musical influence. Bonnie Raitt, who covered one of your songs on her latest album, which is awesome. John Hyatt, whom I love, and I had Lily on the show as well. Recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Lyle Lovett. And then you snuck in a Steely Dan in there. God damn it, man. That's just awesome. <laughs> because I, I grew up in Studio City, California, and in, in LA, in the, in the Valley, and they're all from there. And it was at the time. And wow, wow. I, I go back to them so frequently. Holy moly. Oh, that's, all, all those names are... are uh... They're 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 not just it's not just music that we love. It's that that's that's our DNA. That's the music we grew up listening to. Yeah. That's yeah. the sound of, you know, uh Lyle Lovett's Pontiac is like the sound of my childhood. John Hyatt, Bring the Family, Nick oh. you know, Bonnie Raitt, Nick of Time. These yeah. records these records yeah. are 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 linked to vital memories of my childhood, you know. Yeah. And, and I yeah. was lucky enough to see uh, John High. I think it was right after Slow Turning. I saw him at the bottom line in New York because I went. I, I did oh, grad work at NYU cool. in like late '80s and all the '90s, and like, yeah, oh yeah, he's great. He's phenomenal. So cool. Yeah, Bonnie's great too. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, we'll have to have you guys on, and we'll just talk music the whole time. But this was like right. ostensibly like we got a good picture of the Brothers Landreth. Man, <laughs> we yeah. covered. I'm so a lot excited of for you guys. I'm so ha I'm, I'm like. Um, I'm so excited for where you are and, and what you're doing and where you came from. And like, you guys seem like you're in a really great place with this new album this come morning. It was just really amazing. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for having us. What a great conversation. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. Thanks again for being so open and just willing to go there. Hey, you, uh, you led us down the path, man. Thanks for, uh, th thanks for laying it out. That was really fun. Totally. Totally. Anytime, man. We'll do it again sometime. Cheers, hey. brothers. All right. Okay, that was Dave and Joey Landreth, the brothers Landreth, with me talking about uh, just about everything. That was one of the most uh, interesting and in-depth interviews that I've done here on Roadcase, and I've done quite a few that are just spectacular, and this one is right up there. Uh, really, the elements that make that so uh, so striking are sort of Dave and Joey's self-awareness where they are, uh, what they're doing, and how that ties so uniquely with their place uh, at their particular progression of their artistic output and expression. Uh, just so, so incredible. They've been uh, so up high after their, uh, the, the debut album, Let It Lie, in 2013. Uh, but, you know, I forget who it was, Joey or David said that they just didn't want to quote unquote die for it. And, uh, you know, they were, uh, early on, they were told that they had to work so hard to achieve uh, quote unquote stardom, uh, and just go full bore doing everything. But they're now having done that and been out on the road, uh, they said it nearly killed them that, um, they're sort of happy now having backed off quite a bit from what that was. Uh, so it was just so, uh, intriguing to hear them talk about what that thought process really was, you know, just, and uh, especially I think was Joey talked about how, you know, he began to 
play less, but think about it more. And uh, I think everyone's heard that old ad is just kind of like do less and what's inside of you and that true self will come forward. And um, I thought that was just so intriguing about uh, the way that they came to be where they are now and to be in also a happy place, which I don't think that you can separate out from the fact uh, that they both became fathers during that time. And I can speak from personal experience that does give you a real new perspective on uh, what it takes to uh, create and what it takes to be your own person. It gives you a really um, an important look at what is really, really important. Um, you know, that uh, I think it was Joey said, you know, touring doesn't and, and, and music does not have to be all they are. But again, he's really just super happy being who he is and doing what he is doing right now. That really art has more to do with intention than uh, thinking about what your skill set is. And I think that's a really important lesson. Just do what you're doing and you don't have to uh, kill yourself uh, to do that. And I think that their latest album, Come Morning, is a really amazing example of that. These guys have been on the road, again, touring select venues, and you can find out more information about where where they where they, uh, where they are, where they're coming on their website. Uh, they've got a few more dates left in this tour in Canada, and um, I'm sorry that I missed them when they were back in Chicago back in June, uh, but I'm so delighted that these guys are back now uh, creating music, playing music. And this was just a really, really great time. I thank them so much for being here. And I want to thank everyone for being here for this episode and send a special thank you to Dave Landreth and Joey Landreth, the brothers Landreth for being here on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs> <laughs>